2: the beginning God and what did God do God spoke and when God spoke what did he do he created light and what did light do light extinguished the darkness it separated the darkness
1: welcome to the Barnabas effect with Paul Purvis senior pastor of Mission Hill Church a multicultural multi-generational multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit MissionHill.org. That's MissionHill.org. Now, with today's message,
2: here's Pastor Paul Purvis. The name above all names. And we ask the question, why all of this? Why did Jesus do what he's done. Why did he come the way he did? Why? As Max Okato said, why did he travel so far? He said, I was asking myself that question when I spotted the squirrels outside my window. A family of black-tailed squirrels has made it home amid the roots of the tree of my office. We've been neighbors for three years now, he said. They watch me peck the keyboard. I watch them store their nuts and climb the trunk. We're mutually amused. I could watch them all day, and sometimes I do. But I've never considered becoming one of them. The squirrel world holds no appeal to me. Who wants to sleep next to a hairy rodent with beady eyes? No comments from you wives who think you already do. Give up the Rocky Mountains bass fishing weddings and laughter for a hole in the ground and a diet of dirty nuts. Count me out. But count Jesus in. What a world he left. Our classiest mansion would be a tree trunk to him. Earth's finest cuisine would be walnuts on heaven's table. And the idea of becoming a squirrel with claws and tiny teeth and a furry tail, it's nothing compared to God becoming a one-celled embryo and entering the womb of Mary. But he did. The God of the universe kicked against the wall of a womb He was born into poverty of a peasant and spent his first night in the feed trough of a cow. The word became flesh and lived among us. The God of the universe left the glory of heaven and moved into the neighborhood, our neighborhood. Who would have imagined that he would do such a thing? Why? He loves to be with those he loved. I I love Max Licato. He puts profound thoughts into simple words that help us understand great truth. And really that's what scripture does in John chapter one. It uses language to describe what God is all about. The reason for this season. Why God does what he does In Jesus. Understand this simple truth. The birth of Jesus proclaims the love of God in a simple way that anyone and everyone can understand. Two times this week, I watched as little children acted out the nativity. Two different times, I watched as they fought against the stage fright. The fear that they had to act out, in some cases, even the angels saying, have no fear. Do not be afraid. I watched as one little boy dressed, I think in a lamb costume, he couldn't have been more than two, sat there at the nativity, and he fell asleep and just about fell off the stage. The story of Christmas, the, the birth of Christ is so simple, it, and yet it's so profound, a child can understand, but an educated man can wrestle with its truth. And the gospel of John presents the arrival of Christ in a different way than anywhere else in scripture, different from the story of Matthew that begins with the earthly genealogy of Jesus, different from the story of Luke that we will read on Christmas Eve and, and that has become so familiar The gospel of John begins in a philosophical way, in a way that speaks of words and the word. Listen to the word of God, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning was the word. That Greek word is the word logos, a word which speaks of philosophy. It may have been used In the day in which John wrote this to describe the meaning of life, the philosophies of the world, it speaks of language. It it describes that desire to communicate, to reveal truth. When John uses it, he's seeking to make clear God's purpose in the birth of Christ, that Jesus came to communicate to this world, to reveal who God is and what he's up to and the difference that that makes. I want to just point out a couple of things of truth because really there are only two overarching points to this message, but we're going to share a lot of truth before we get there. And the the first little bonus truth I want you to get is that Jesus is our always God. He's our always God. Now that means a couple of things. That means he's always been here. And that means he's always on time. Now he's always been here. We've talked for the last several weeks that it's important that you understand that when Jesus shows up in Matthew one or in Luke two or in John one, he's not just appearing on the scene as God junior. He's not just entering the act at that point of the new Testament, but he has always been here. In fact, the phrase that John uses to begin the gospel is very similar to another beginning in scripture. Now, let me remind you how John began. John chapter one said, in the beginning, you know how the Bible begins? If you have extra fingers, flip over to Genesis chapter one and Genesis one in verse one, it starts this way. In the beginning, God. What's interesting right here is that name for God is the name Elohim and it's used in the plural and in the first words of scripture, we're reminded that God is a mysterious God that we may have difficulty understanding in our finite minds because he is a God who is three in one. In the first pages of scripture, we see that Jesus is on the scene in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from darkness. Isn't it interesting how. John ties back to the first words of Scripture. In the beginning, God, and what did God do? God spoke, and when God spoke, what did he do? He created light, and what did light do? Light extinguished the darkness. It separated the darkness. John tells us that in the beginning was the Word. What does the Word do? The Word gives us light. Our God is eternal. He is our always God. A few years ago, a a couple of weeks before Christmas, a, a postal employee lost his wife in a tragic automobile accident. They had a young daughter and he was overcome with grief and he tried to work through this course of his grief leading up to this very busy time at Christmas. And One day he was there in the post office. He was going through a mountain of mail. And as he began to shuffle the letters, he noticed a familiar address, his address. And so he looked down to see that it was a a letter from his daughter to Santa. And when he opened it, here's what it said. Santa Claus, dear Santa, my mommy died just a couple of weeks ago. And since then, my daddy has been crying himself to sleep every night. He says only eternity will heal him. Would you please send a little bit of eternity to my dad this Christmas? What John is telling us is that what God did in Jesus was to give us a little bit of eternity. He gives us everything we need to know that our God, Jesus, is an always God. He is with us. Always, But he's not that, only that. He is actually God. Here at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus is actually God. And so one of the big debates of time, is Jesus God? Does Jesus claim to be God? The answer is yes. Jesus makes it clear right here. His assumption is clear. The latter part of the verse Is one of the plainest statements in the Bible on the deity of Jesus. The word was God. That's why Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. That's why Jesus would say, I and the father are one. He's the only son who could ever say that of his father. For example, I and my father are two. Because I'm not my father. My father is not me. But Jesus could say, I and my father are two are one. Hey, this is important for you to understand in our increasingly pluralistic society where many would come and they would test you and tempt you to say, well, explain to me, did Jesus ever really claim to be God? Yes, he did. And scripture claims that of Jesus. And if that is not true, the whole thing falls apart. Don't think that you can just take the moral teachings of Jesus. Don't think that you can say, Jesus, I guess, is my Savior or my Messiah, but he's really not God. No, as C.S. Lewis famously said, either he is Lord or he is a liar or he's a lunatic. Either he's Lord, he is God, or he's a liar because he didn't do what he said he was going to do. And he is not who he says he was or he's a lunatic. And C.S. Lewis went on to say, on the level of a poached egg. Because if he's that crazy, he's really crazy. He is our actual God. But Jesus is also an articulate God. So John uses this this word logos. He is the word. Think about that. Jesus is God speaking to you. Did you hear that? Jesus is God speaking to you, communicating to you, revealing himself to you. That's really the main focus today. We're going to come back to that in a second. So let me just go to this last thing. Jesus is an active God. So he's not just some distant deity that was at some point in creation. He's at work in our world and in your life today. Verse 3 says, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. You look at the writings of Paul, for example, in Colossians, you see this again and again. You see that God in Jesus is everything. A little boy was talking to his mother one time and he said, Mama, who made the moon? The mother said, well, God made the moon. Little boy said, well, Mama, who made the stars? Mama said, well, son, God made the stars. Little boy was thinking and he said, well, mama, who made the sun? And he said, well, son, God made the sun too. He was becoming more and more frustrated with his mom. And he said, well, I want to ask you a question. Doesn't Jesus ever do anything? I recognize that it's hard to understand and, and we remind ourselves in here almost on a weekly basis that we're okay embracing the mystery of God. But part of that mystery is the reality that scripture teaches that Jesus is the author of all that is and all that is was not only created by him, it is for him and it is through him. It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. I want to go back to verse 1, and I want you to see those number of times that you see the word was. Did you catch that? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. What does that mean? In the original language, it's in the imperfect tense every time. And that's significant because it it sounds a little differently if you understand that than what we have just in the English language, because it's describing a continual ongoing activity, something that has not ceased. So John is saying in the beginning was the word. That's a continuous fact. And the word was with God continuously. And the word was God Constantly, Jesus was in the beginning before it all started and he'll continue after the end. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. He's our always God. He's he's an actual God. He's an articulate God and he's an active God. But but what is John saying about this purpose? Why, Why do you think the Holy Spirit of God inspired John in this gospel rather than to talk about shepherds and to talk about wise men a, a couple years later and to talk about uh, the cattle that we sing were lowing, whatever that means. And why, why this philosophical talk about the word? I think it's simple. God wanted us to understand that at the core of his existence is his desire to communicate with us. This is the revelation of God communicating to us that everything has been done in order for us to know the good news of grace and truth. Now, where do I get that out of this passage? Well, I look down at verse 14. Look at John 1 and verse 14. It says, and the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. So this is how we know that we're talking about Jesus. The word, that co-eternal, co-existent, co-equal God became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what's described in Luke chapter two when the virgin was with child and she gave birth and the angels in heaven celebrated. But then John goes on to say that we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So he's saying that when Jesus became flesh, we had everything we needed to know about the good news God wants us to experience of truth and grace. When it says became flesh, it's interesting because the word there in the language literally means to pitch a tent. So what it's saying is that God came to earth. The word became flesh and kind of pitched a tent just to hang out for a while. Now, a Jewish reader listening to this would have immediately gone back to another time in the history where God pitched a tent. You know when that was? As they were traveling through the wilderness... God resided where? In the tabernacle. And so the presence of God was with his people, literally in a tent that was pitched before them. So when John would say this word, the living word became flesh and pitched a tent, he desires to hang out with you. He became visible. I often think, wouldn't it have been amazing to have walked and talked on this earth when Jesus walked and talked on this earth. I often think that, but I'm quickly drawn back to the reality that that would scare me to death because I would hope that I would be one of the ones that would believe he was who he said he was and trust that he did what he said he would do. Jesus became visible, but he also became vulnerable. That word flesh reminds us that everything we experience, Jesus can relate to. Did anybody get tired this week? Let me see your hands. Jesus can relate to that. Did anybody cry this week? Let me see your hands. I'm in that crowd. Jesus can relate to that. Did anybody have something really exciting? You got really happy at some point this week? I had that too. Jesus can relate to that. I, I'm listening to myself. I think I'm a roller coaster, aren't I? And guess what? My, my Jesus can relate to that. Remember, He gave us everything that we have that's good, and He created all that is. So these emotions we experience, He not only created them, He experienced them in the flesh. John said, In the beginning was the Word. He was communicating to us continually. Now, why would Jesus become vulnerable? He wanted to do whatever it took to communicate the gospel of truth and grace. I, I need you to understand that what we celebrate as Christmas is so much more than a cute story. This is central to our understanding of salvation. This is central to the hope of the gospel. This is a demonstration of the incredible, loving, gracious act of God. And he did what he must do to communicate truth and grace. Almost every Christmas for 20 years, I've shared the story of the farmer who became kind of jaded in his faith and he chose to isolate himself from others and lived out his days far away from people without their hassles and the involvement in daily life but he had a a never forgotten experience on a cold winter night that changed his life and you probably heard this story but it was first told I think by Paul Harvey He said, one raw winter night, the man heard an irregular thumping against the kitchen storm door. And he went to the window and he watched as tiny, shivering sparrows, attracted to the evident warmth inside, beat in vain against the glass. Touched, the farmer bundled up and he trudged through the fresh snow to open the barn for the struggling birds. He turned on the lights, tossed some hay in a corner and sprinkled a trail of saltine crackers to direct them to the barn. But the sparrows, which had scattered in all directions when he emerged from the house, still hid in the darkness, afraid of him. He tried various tactics. He circled behind the birds to drive them toward the barn, tossing cracker crumbs in the air toward them. He retreated to the house to see if they had fluttered into the barn in their own. Nothing worked. He He, he was a huge alien creature. He had terrified them. The birds could not understand that he actually desired to help. He withdrew to his house, and he watched the doomed sparrows through a window. And as he stared, a thought hit him like lightning from a clear blue sky. If only I could become a bird, one of them, just for a moment, then I wouldn't frighten them so. I could show them the way to warmth and safety. And at the same moment, another thought dawned on him. He grasped the whole principle of the incarnation. A man becoming a bird is nothing compared to our God becoming a man.
1: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement